Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 29 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up with our guest, Christine, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Christine Hoffbeck earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in mathematics from the University of Pennsylvania and a Master's in Business Administration from MIT. She has achieved the FSA actuarial status by passing all tests from the Society of Actuary and has held multiple vice president positions with a strong emphasis in predictive analytics. She is currently on the executive board of directors at the Society of Actuaries. And if Christine's name sounds familiar, she was one of the last two standing on the hit show, Survivor. Welcome to the show, Christine. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Um, I've been an actuary for almost 25 years. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We have three teenagers who are probably going to move forward in STEM careers themselves. Awesome. I love traveling. I have traveled through the entire world, including Antarctica, all seven continents. Um, I've been skydiving, hang gliding. I'm certified in scuba. So I love sort of all things adventure. Uh, as you said, I, for if there are any reality TV fans out there, I did participate in uh, CBS's Survivor season 35. That was super fun. And um, ultimately, though, I just I love being an actuary. I think it's the greatest profession on the planet. And it has enabled me to do a lot of other really fun things in my life. Christine, thanks for that great overview. And we're going to delve right in here. So you've got a degree in math as opposed to actuarial science. And you can go for actuarial science or a math degree and become a actuary. And you also have a strong emphasis and kind of a leader in predictive analytics. Can you help guide STEM Nation into what this all really means? Sure. So I'll start with the math degree. I actually, when I was in high school, learned about the actuarial profession and actually thought that I wanted to go out and be an actuary. Personally, though, I was a little bit afraid that if I was an actuarial sciences major and didn't like it, then what would I do next? So I ended up um, getting a math degree just because I thought it was more general and then went on to being an actuary. Um, I will tell you what an actuary does. Let me just break that down. An actuary looks forward in time. So we use historical data to predict events that may happen in the future and that will have a financial impact if they occur. So we do this to gain financial stability and also to mitigate the likelihood and severity of those future financial events if they do occur. So for example, things that might happen in the future that incur a financial hit would include things like retiring and beginning to receive social security benefits or retirement income from your employer, getting in a car accident and needing a payout from your insurance company, getting sick and needing to pay the doctor for your medical care so you can get well, or maybe you have a leak in your roof and you want to file a homeowner's claim so you can get it repaired. So these are all events that might happen in the future. If they do, you will have a financial payout. So actuaries predict the likelihood of those future events occurring, when they would occur, and how much they would cost. And by doing that, we can help companies or the government or individuals be financially prepared. Now, as an actuary, we think about those future financial risks as being in two buckets, related to people or related to stuff. So risks for people include things like retirement, disability, health, death. 
people who specialize in those areas or actuaries who specialize in those areas are life actuaries. Then we have risks related to stuff. This includes your home, your car, your boat, any of your material possessions. Actuaries who predict risks for stuff are called property casualty actuaries. And usually whether you become a life or a property casualty actuary honestly is determined by your first job out of college. So likely you'll interview at multiple firms and whichever job you take will be the actuarial track that you will follow. I personally have moved between the two, but that's, uh, that's uncommon. So as far as predictive analytics, what does that actually mean? It sounds like you're predicting the future, but what is predictive analytics? So actuaries always have been doing some form of predictive analytics. Basically, we analyze data to predict what might happen in the future. But what we've seen lately is this explosion of data. Now, predictive analytics really developed on the property casualty side. Let's think about auto insurance. We have this explosion of data into social media, into data that is just collected and saved on individuals now that we have the internet. And what we found is that by combining internal company data with external sources of data, it might be government census, it might be social media, it might be who knows what, um, we can really find a lot more variables or a lot more data elements that are predictive of an event than we than we knew previously. I'll give you an example. The big one on the property casualty side is using credit score to predict your auto losses. Back in the 1990s, this was a, a huge aha moment when I believe it was progressive found out that your credit score was actually actually could be used to, to predict your, your auto losses. And how does that fit in with artificial intelligence? So machine learning, do you use artificial intelligence in the realm of predictive analytics? I think that going forward, that is something that actuaries would really like to get into. If I'm being totally honest, a a lot of actuaries work for insurance companies and a lot of their IT systems tend to be dinosaurs. And so we haven't quite moved into artificial intelligence yet, but there are ideas about using artificial intelligence going forward to, or machine learning where the, where the computer can train itself to do things like claims mitigation, claims payments, um, and things like that. But I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, and and that's probably true, Christine, because the compute power to do the true artificial intelligence really didn't come to bear until probably... 2011, 2012-ish. So it's very, very much in its infancy for for pretty much any company out there. It's just starting to gain traction, but it's a very, very uh, popular field going forward, I believe. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like to talk about it because it's a very sexy thing to talk about. But in reality, I don't know that it's necessarily used by, by most companies or many companies. I think probably the biggest area of data that's being used now is telematics. So telematics is that little device that you can plug into your car that will track by the millisecond, you know, how fast you brake, how fast you take a turn, uh, are you going the speed limit, and using all that data together to better um, predict, for example, your, your auto insurance premiums. Um, but even that, there's there's so much data that comes out of a telematics device that many auto insurers can't even use it because they, they just don't have a place to store and analyze all of that vast amounts of data. 
Yeah, and, and every company is starting to struggle with that. The amount of data being collected is is tremendous, and trying to figure out how to monetize that or make money out of that is is a challenge for a lot of companies out there. Yeah, I mean, I'd also add to that there are legal and ethical implications around using data, right? Sometimes it turns into not what can we use, but what should we use? And are there ethical limitations to, for example, am I allowed to crawl your Facebook page to find out if you are using tobacco? Right? Maybe I can. I don't know if I should. Right. And I, I chatted with the IEEE president, and ethics is a big aspect in design and data collection. It is. And, and actually, I would say it's what makes our job as actuaries, yet another thing that makes our job as actuaries so fascinating, because not only are we crunching data all day long, but we need to stop for a moment and say, gee, I need to make sure that what I just did can be legally used and that it's ethically sound, that I am not discriminating against a particular group of people, that I am only looking at risk, risk characteristics for a particular group. So it really is, a, an, to me, a, an extremely fascinating area to work in. Yeah, so STEM Nation, when you're taking your college classes and you have to take that ethics class and you're wondering why, now you know why. So, Christine, we're going to get very specific. And what is your specific area of expertise? In my career, I have moved around a lot, which is not typical for actuaries. So out of college, I became a life actuary. I took the life exams, specifically the retirement track. So I spent a dozen years specializing in retirement benefits. My customers were employers who ultimately wanted to pay retirement benefits for their employees, and they wanted to know, how much money do I put in the bank so that when my people retire, I have enough money to pay them? Um, most actuaries, for example, who might go into the retirement track would then work, work there for their entire lives. I ended up taking a number of years out of the workforce to be a stay-at-home mom, and when I got back into it, I popped up on the property casualty side. Again, now property casualty is valuing stuff. And specifically, I began pricing auto and homeowners insurance. That's really when I learned about predictive analytics and all of the incredibly neat things that were happening in the property casualty space with respect to using new sources of data. And then I took all of that knowledge and brought it back to the life space uh, where I moved into group disability again, for employers, but now looking at disability and life insurance. And I began to, to really specialize in building out predictive analytics capabilities for employers. I know that's a very long answer, but it's not typical for an actuary to move between, between property casualty and life. I did that. It's not normal for an actuary to move tracks. I went from retirement to property casualty to life, uh, but it can be done. So I would say that I have sort of this breadth of experience. I don't know what you would consider my specialty, probably building predictive analytics capabilities. Right. So, Christine, in the actuarial world, the things that I've read, it, it's one of the best jobs out there because of the work environment, and they tend to be low-stress positions. Even though you've got a math degree and you're responsible for a whole lot, could you help explain how actuary is kind of a, a lower stress position than maybe a engineering design position? So I think most actuaries would not necessarily agree that it's a low stress job. <laughs> um, 
you know, truthfully, I don't know why the reports would say that it's less stress than, for example, an engineering role. I think that any type of STEM career is going to require, um, you know, there, there are going to be deadlines. There are going to be lots of, of management of data that may be clean or unclean that might take longer than you expected. There's going to be a lot of cross-functional business communication that happens. Again, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's, it's high stress, right? I'm not an air traffic controller type of stress. But still, we do have deadlines. We do have great responsibility. And ultimately, a lot of very, very big decisions, big financial decisions come out of results that actuaries present. So we do have a lot of uh, reliance. And, and, and there could be some stress that, that's related to that. So I know there's no such thing as a typical work day, but for a actuary that that graduates and starts working at a company, what would a day look like for them? There are a lot of meetings, managing data, talking with others about your findings, sharing your results with business partners. Um, I want to stress that there is a lot of number crunching. When people think about the actuarial profession, they think that it is a person who's sitting behind a computer screen. And to some extent, that's true. But there is also a great deal of communication involved. So you really do need to be a good communicator to excel in this profession. Uh, I would say, especially if you can explain very technical results to a non-technical audience, then this would be a great profession for you. Uh, there is documentation of your work. We do have professional standards. So imagine a day of crunching numbers, documenting your work, and then sharing your results with your business partners. That's pretty much a typical workday for an actuary. Thanks for that, Christine. And we're going to move into something that really has you fired up about actuarial science. And where do you see it headed? Ah, so there's been a lot of talk lately about big data and data analytics. This is the whole predictive analytics, prescriptive analytics. Uh, basically, there's been this explosion of data. And what I love about being an actuary is that we are more than data scientists. Because we are experts on both the data and the business, we are uniquely positioned to be able to build predictive models and really drive data, database decisioning within organizations better than anyone else. So I'd say there is this explosion of opportunities for actuaries as we see this explosion of data. Um, historically, we've seen actuaries specialize, like I said, in future financial events. But I actually believe that the actuarial profession is going to explode into any kind of other data manipulation that could be optimizing operations, for example, claims handling, could be optimizing marketing. So, I mean, I, I love this profession. I think the sky's the limit. Any, any place that there is a need to analyze data, mitigate risk, really use data to, to optimize a profession, I think actuaries belong there. All right. Sounds like the future is very bright for actuaries, and especially it's a very strong math degree. And companies everywhere, not just you know financial companies and uh, insurance companies, but every company out there needs these folks in strong mathematical backgrounds who can take data, analyze the data, figure out what's important there, and then you know help the company make money. Because in the end, it is all the companies have to make money, and if you can help provide you know, to the bottom line of that company, you're going to be very valuable to them. 
And Christine, we're going to move to an aha moment. If you could take us to a moment in time of an incredible aha moment you've had at work or your personal life and tell us a story and how you turn that aha moment into success. My aha moment is, is kind of, I'd say, a general one. And so I want to go back to the fact that I started as a life actuary and I moved into the property casualty space. And when I began working in automobile and homeowners insurance, this is when I learned everything that was happening in the area of predictive analytics. Predictive analytics is huge in property casualty and, and not so much in life. And the reason it's very big in property casualty is they have lots and lots of data. And usually your time horizon is, is a year or so. You're not looking forward to much versus life where we don't have as much data and you're, you're valuing a person's entire lifespan of like 30 years, right? But when I found out all of the amazing strides that were happening in predictive analytics on the property casualty side, for example, using credit score to predict loss, I realized that we should be doing that in life insurance as well. So I actually quit my job in uh, property casualty and moved back into the life space and began building out a predictive analytics capability for a global life insurer. And that was huge. And I began speaking all across the country about things that we could do in this space. I actually was invited to be a part of a National Geographic documentary series called Breakthrough that talked about my work in predictive analytics in the life space. And now we're starting to get some traction uh, on that on that side. And the reason I bring this up is, for me, my aha moment is that our profession is constantly improving. Like I'm just one person, but the great thing about being an actuary is all it takes is one person with an idea to, to really change the face of your organization or of your profession. You can use your expertise to do something great and something new and make an impact. Um, and I, I embrace that. I love that. I mean, we all encourage that as actuaries. So finding out how great predictive analytics was on the property casualty side and bringing it back to the life space, that, that, that was something that was super fun for me. Okay, Christine, we are going to move into something that's on the front and center of the minds of STEM Nation. Getting through these curriculums, right? They are not easy, especially actuary. When you get done with your four-year degree, you've got, you know, eight, nine, ten tests to take. So if you could go back to when you're 18 years old, heading off to college, what are some things that you wish you knew back then that would help our STEMers launch into college successfully? So uh, when you're going off to college, if you are an actuarial sciences major, then taking exams is probably part of your curriculum. And I would definitely recommend trying to graduate from college with at least two actuarial exams. That's going to set you up very nicely. So for those students who are not actuarial sciences majors, I was not. Like if you happen to be math or stats or finance or econ or any other STEM or quant major, then you should take a few exams on your own. It's not impossible. Um, I did it. I graduated college with two exams and I just signed up on my own and studied on the weekends. That's what I'd recommend. I also would recommend getting an internship if you can after your junior year in some sort of actuarial capacity just so that you have something else on your resume when you go out to get a, to get a job after you graduate college. Thanks for that great overview. And we're going to take a quick pause and thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing. If you decide to cancel within 30 days, there's no cost and you keep the audiobook. And we're moving to the lightning round. Christine, are you ready? I'm ready. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? 
Uh, study hard the first time you sit for an actuarial exam. So putting in a lot of time once is way less effort than putting in a little bit of time over and over and over to pass one exam. So you really want to get through your tests as quickly as possible. And what's a personal habit that contributes to your success? Uh, relationships at work matter. So given the choice between dialing into a meeting and attending in person, you always want to be there in person. You want to make a strong personal connection and have a physical presence. And what's one book you would recommend and why? I'm not really into reading workbooks. I really only read books for fun. My favorite book of all time is Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. I've read it first in college and several times since then. And Christine, as we wrap up here, can you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation and then we'll say goodbye? Yeah, sure. I mean, in general, I'd say for any profession, work really hard in the early years of your career because it will pay off tenfold down the line. So if early on you can really establish your foothold, pass your tests, save your money, make good responsible decisions, then you have a much easier life in the future. Uh, and, and also just, this sort of goes back to my habit, but I know there's a move to working remotely, but I would strongly recommend against that if possible, especially at the early parts of your career, you really want to get out there and build your own sense of presence. And lastly, just enjoy it. Working years are a really long time, so just enjoy your profession. Soak in everything that you possibly can. All right. Thank you, Christine. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Bye. It was great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today with Christine. Head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And again, if you're getting value from this podcast, share it with a friend. Tune in next week where we talk with Carrie, who is a chemical engineer. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.